You know, with all the tools that are available out there, you know, really easy to start. The, the best way I think to learn is to start playing around with something that's interpretable, right? So not going straight for some deep room networks that, you know, do something crazy like stable diffusion, for example. Start with something like a text generation statistical method. Find a way to implement it if that's your, your cup of tea uh, and kind of work through, okay, I'm going to start with this. I'll realize what the problems are with this approach. And then let me find the next better one. So that kind of self-learning with something that, you know, you actually have a model you can play with at the end of the day. There's so many domains and so many new ones are coming online every day. It's more fun to just get started. Welcome to the Conversations on Applied AI podcast where Justin Grammons and the team at Emerging Technologies North talk with experts in the fields of artificial intelligence and deep learning. In each episode, we cut through the hype and dive into how these technologies are being applied to real-world problems today. We hope that you find this episode educational and applicable to your industry and connect with us to learn more about our organization at AppliedAI.mn. Enjoy. Welcome, everyone, to the Conversations on Applied AI podcast. Today, we're speaking with Sam Cartford. Sam is doing cybersecurity by day and the co-founder of his own startup called Babel, which he is working on anytime else. Babel is a website that tracks stock market news sentiment. It aggregates and runs sentiment analysis on thousands of finance articles to distill high-impact information and ultimately help investors supplement their current research. This saves them time, reduces bias, and helps them gain insights. It was recently accepted into the Beta Fall 2022 cohort and was a part of Twin Cities Startup Week, where it was listed as a standout by the Business Journal. Congrats, Sam, on your success, and thank you for being on the program today. Hey, thanks, Justin. You know, I, I gave a little bit of highlights with regards to where you're at today. Maybe you could give a little bit of a short background, you know, I know you graduated from the University of Minnesota with a computer science degree, sort of how, how what sort of brought you into this field since, since graduating from school? Yeah, I graduated with a degree in computer science, focused in artificial intelligence, machine learning, and straight into the pandemic. You know, I was on the mm. beach in Georgia <laughs> or Alabama when I figured out that I was, wasn't going to be going back to class. So right after that, I was lucky enough to get a job doing cybersecurity. And around the same time, also you know, turned back to a research project that I had worked on before with my now co-founder. And we turned that into, you know, something that we first were able to use ourselves, saw a lot of value in it and knew that a lot of people were like us out there who are invested in stocks, but, you know, don't want to read all the news and all of the clickbait and all of the bot written articles. And so now, we, yeah, we pushed something out that anyone can now go and sign up for, which is huge. We have almost 200 users now nice. and we're working on some enterprise deals for some folks in the publishing space. Uh, very, very cool. Well, good. And so, you, you know, you, you're kind of doing the cybersecurity stuff during the day. Like you said, you got a, you got a job in, in, in that space. Do you see, I mean, sort of just kind of riffing on this, but you're seeing AI being used in that space as well. I mean, do, do, yeah. do you guys touch any of that stuff? Yeah, a lot of the machine learning and AI that's baked into cybersecurity all lives in the tooling space. So I don't get to do any of my own, unfortunately, but things like CrowdStrike come along with some, some really good machine learning under the hood. It might be just stats deep down, who really knows, but it, it, it does work. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, no, I have a, a friend who actually just got, he got hired by CrowdStrike maybe, I don't know, three or four months ago or so as an engineering manager. So I should definitely ping him, maybe have him on the program yeah. in the future now that, now that you mentioned definitely. that. What's interesting is you're still pretty young in your career, I guess, right? So you've been, you've only been out of school. You know, I've been out of school for, you know, more than 20 years now. <laughs> so to me, since you've only been out for, since the pandemic, it's still pretty young. But you know what, what, I guess most people aren't investing money at your age. Uh, do you think you're a little bit of an anomaly in that space? And 
how would this become a passion? Like, have you always kind of wanted to be an investor or been an investor? I was seeing in high school and in college the financial freedom that comes along with good investments early in life. And it seemed like a low cost way of, you know, making sure that, you know, it's an insurance policy on retiring eventually. I'm not that much of an anomaly anymore, too, when you look at the GameStop kind of flood of investors, which is kind of who needs some new tools. So folks who need someone to, to help them read the news and, and to get better information. So we saw 7 million new investors between 18 to 24 years old come online in 2021 alone. And the new cohort was younger, more diverse, and from lower socioeconomic brackets than, than ever before. So these folks, you know, increased returns on investment means, you know, really increased quality of life. So that's who we're trying to get in front of. Are you? So age doesn't really matter, I guess. Background or experience doesn't matter. Yeah. And and are you thinking about, like, you know, when I started thinking about like Robinhood and, you know, just in, just like Coinbase and some of these other places where people are just kind of throwing money in, mm-hmm. not really fully understanding what they're doing in a lot of, in a lot of cases, right? Yeah. It's an expensive way to learn about investing uh-huh. <laughs> through, through getting burned, but it's one of those stoves you don't touch twice. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about, about Babel then, you know, you guys are doing sentiment analysis. I mean, I, I know there's a lot of proprietary stuff going on, but maybe yeah. you can give us a general feel with regards to sort of the overall structure of the system and sort of how, how it works from an AI ML standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. So we take in around 30,000 news articles every week, in addition to a few hundred thousand tweets and some Reddit posts. And we take all that raw text and we, you know, a lot of our secret sauce probably lives in the, the cleaning processes and the stuff that we do to make the text usable. And we call it sentiment analysis, what we're doing at the end. But really, we just have a lot of more heuristic-based sets of things that we're, that we're looking at to get the most information out of that text rather than, you know, a lot of the open source models and stuff that comes out of the box. You, you plug in a sentence and you might get a score between negative one and one. Mm-hmm. And we were finding that that's just not representative. The, the actual information that we want isn't embedded in that number. So we try to parse out more categorically how you can classify the text, you know, is it hyped? Is it informational? Is it someone trying to sell something? You know, does it look like it's written by a bot? We take a lot of that information and use that to build kind of a, a denser representation of each sentence that we're seeing and use that to figure out how interesting a company is or, or what, you know, whether that investor should look at that company or not. Gotcha. And so me as an investor, what are some of the knobs I can turn, right? Am I, am I, am I looking at blue chip stocks? So I just put in the word blue chip. How does that typically work? Yeah. So a lot of the output right now is stock-based. So the ticker that you want to search, you'll go in and you'll get all the information that we've seen on that. The, the good articles, how often bots are writing or tweeting about those articles. But we have a lot in the pipeline that looks a lot more like knobs that, that can be turned. We have, you know, you want to add a feature that's like the Google Trends of maybe stock news. You could plug in a word and see how often that's getting mentioned in what kind of contexts, you know, positive or negative or you know, more macro-focused, more individual business. We have a lot of tooling that we're, that we're going to be sending out, adding to people where it, it should be more like a, a blank canvas, where any question that you want answered, you should be able to find inside of the platform. Nice. Are you finding yourself, so I've, I've done a lot, since I've been kind of on the internet since the beginning, I guess, I've done a lot of like scraping and, mm-hmm. you know, basically text processing websites. And oftentimes you'll just start getting blocked, right? right. Like sites, sites, sites will start blocking you. I mean, are you guys sort of like using Google News as your initial feed or just a mixture of all sorts of other things that maybe you find online that maybe you can get into? Or are you running into some of these things? Yeah, that's been an interesting problem. Like the, the kind of 
<laughs> deep down guts of, of getting our data. Mm-hmm. We pull most of it from APIs so we can avoid any sort of copyright gray areas. We do do a little bit of scraping with people who we know are okay with that. And at our current volume, you know, doing 30,000 articles, uh, it's been enough. The problem though, and kind of like you were talking about with, with turning the knob, there are, you know, 10% of stocks that get 90% of the news. And so as people come onto our platform, we've been seeing they go looking for stocks that are maybe outside of the top 100 and therefore might only get two articles a month. And so we go to places that are more dedicated to those specific stocks and stocks of those categories and get those plugged in. So we have you know, a wider range of data and, and tickers that people can look at. Makes sense. I mean, your, your business model is a, a subscription business model, I'm guessing, yeah. right? So I, I pay a monthly subscription and you guys go out and do all the heavy lifting for me, which saves me a lot of time from going to Google News and typing in some of these same tickers, right? right. I guess that's the alternative is what people are doing. Yeah. Okay, so now I want to invest, right? Like, do I open up an account with Charles Schwab? Like, would you guys do some ads through that way? Are, are you looking at something like on the backside with this as well? Yeah, honestly, we'd love to partner with a broker somewhere along the line, someone who has those accounts and that we could just sure. bundle a subscription to Babel inside of, you know, their access to their brokerage. Otherwise, right now, we've just been kind of taking a, a bring your own broker approach to people who have accounts. And they've been, you know, we'll, we'll add features to add to allow people to add their portfolio into their watch list. That'll be a good way to, to make it really easy to make sure they're getting the information they need. For sure. For sure. How do you guys deal with, I guess, you know, bias in some way with regards to like Jim Cramer's always posting something, right? So, so wouldn't, wouldn't some of his stuff kind of start feeding the algorithm more towards some of these people that are always putting a lot of content out there in some ways? Do you, yeah. Are you guys trying to mitigate that? Well, this is probably the most interesting piece of what we get to work on, the kind of source reputation and also like the, the value of the information that they're putting out. We have, just kind of as a step back, we have some people who want to maybe trade alongside the herd as stuff is happening. They want to be in on the wave. And we have some people who want to get out of the way. What we'll know is how influential that person's information is on the tickers they're talking about. If we see that every time a Jim Cramer tweet mentions a stock positively, you know, you see a, an 8% bump or something over the next month, we'll let people know that, hey, Jim Cramer just mentioned this, you know, they'll get a higher weight maybe in how we're looking at projecting that stock's future performance. And that information will, you know, give us a metric of how often folks are right. And that's at the platform standpoint, like Twitter, all the way down to the individual users and the, the sectors that they're talking about. The flip side of that is we downweight information that comes back and we know isn't novel, right? We can look back against every sentence that we've processed and see on the spectrum of this has never been said before to everyone is saying this, how novel this information is. And therefore, like how likely it is to be useful to the people who care about that stock. Ah, Cool. I mean, you're just providing the information so people can take it or leave it, right? right? I mean, <laughs> the, it's just it's just like, hey, make your own decision. At the end of the day, this is sort of what we're what we're seeing. Yeah. I saw that you guys were free for a period, but now you're going into just a paid paid model only. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, we were free for the first 250 people. We shut that off last week, and so we'll slowly ramp up the price as we add new features and larger and larger groups of people. It'll be four dollars for the next 250, and then ten after that. Well, very good. Well, so I have liner notes and all sorts of text transcript of all these podcasts. So we'll make sure to put your website, but it's, it's babble.dev. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And the, the web itself, the website itself is on app.babble.dev and we'll have a discount code for you. All right. All right. Cool. Yeah. Whatever you can give me, I can push out to the audience. You know, I, I obviously 
enjoy talking about AI and machine learning and its applications. That's what this is all about. So you guys fit right in that. But also, I just I love starting, you know, talking to startups and 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 other founders that are doing some unique things. You know, they're just getting into this space. So it's really cool that you've taken the leap here. And I remember talking to you and your co-founder when you guys were doing a thing with Red Wing Ignite, <laughs> I think maybe a year, maybe a year or more ago. Yeah, right? that was. We've been to a few startup classes since then. That was our our first. The first time that we learned about how to talk to customers. How's that journey been? Kind of walk me through the past couple of years as you guys have been building your business. Yeah. Yeah. We started our first cohort through ILT based out of St. Cloud. Nick Teets, if you're listening, thanks again for, for being a good teacher. Nick's awesome. Yeah. I love Nick. Yeah. We learned a lot, you know, in those kind of early classes because my co-founder and I are both pretty technical and not, you know, too exposed to the business side of things. And so you learn a lot of the methodologies and tools and tricks that you can kind of use to make sure that the thing that you're actually making will be used and is wanted and needed. You know, we kind of came into this with just a data pipeline where we knew that we could get a lot of information out of stock news text and make sure that people didn't have to spend all their time reading. But we didn't exactly know, you know, how do you talk about that? How do you make sure when talking to potential users that it actually does solve the problem that they, you know, need solved? Awesome. And so now you guys are in this beta program. Yeah. How much longer does that go? That goes through February. So we'll be in through okay. the rest of the winter here. We ended up winning the the showcase during Twin City Startup Week, which was awesome. It's been a lot of fun. It's obviously our, our, our classroom is five blocks from my house here in Northeast. So that's been ideal as well. The people that we've gotten to connect through that have been super, super helpful in helping us, you know, figure out the best ways to add people. How do we start thinking about doing PR? You know, how do we get a lot of people exposed to what we're working on and make sure that we can get as many of them as possible activated on the platform and save them time and help them make more money. Yeah, for sure. Can you continue to use that space after you're completed or can that be a resource for you that's three blocks away if you want to get out? <laughs> yeah, I do like getting out of the basement here. So that'll be something I, I keep pulling on uh, as long as they keep letting me in. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. So you're getting all the content, you're doing analysis on it. Are you guys looking at like GPT-3 or some of those types of things then to then to summarize and, and write it back? Maybe you're already doing it. You know, I, yeah. I don't know. I'm just, just curious. Yeah, we've been kind of using an ensemble approach for how we turn a lot of information into something more digestible. The, the simplest method kind of on our spectrum is looking at sentences that are the most information dense, right? And we kind of classify that through looking at the numbers that are shared. You know, are they talking about percentages? Are they talking about money? Are they talking about things that are in the future versus in the past? You know, they're speculating or reacting. And so those individual sentences get pulled out. And then we'll also do, you know, you can almost think about it like a, it's almost like a convolutional neural network, CNN, where we're taking those kind of convolutional steps to make it more dense summarization, you know, individual parts to make sure that we're getting the most information that we can out of it. Well, cool. Do you read on AI a lot? What, what sort of other books do you like to read? <laughs> yeah, I still have all my textbooks <laughs> from school here. Otherwise, I've been following a lot of really interesting researchers on Twitter. They you know, we'll let you know when the new important things are are coming out. So, you know, I looked at stable diffusion right away in some of those image generation kind of network and structures. And that was, you know, incredible to see. I think it's Sebastian Ruder writes in a, a really good newsletter on the state of NLP. And that'll be a little bit of, you know, stuff with the the large language models, you know, the, the ones that we all know about like GPT-3, as well as some of the up and coming research papers that he's found at conferences. Yeah, I mean, what what have you seen other projects using NLP out there that have maybe caught your attention at all or 
maybe it's maybe it's just the stuff that you're working on in that in that sphere. But I was just curious, or even across all AI, to be honest, or is there anything that you're seeing in the news? You're like, wow, that's a pretty cool application. Of I, I hadn't really thought about doing it that way or it being used in capacity. Yeah, in the NLP world, the the most interesting things to me have been the the code generation, right? Like mostly the fact that teams that start using like GitHub Copilot, the second that it's gone, they really, really miss it. And they found that their engineering time was reduced by maybe 40% because they didn't have to write things that you know are, are pretty easily inferable from the, the function that they're writing or what have you. So that one I've been following really closely and, and thinking about you know buying a subscription or adding it to our, to our GitHub license so that we could take a look at that. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. So I, I teach at the University of St. Thomas in their master's program. Right. And as an educator, I actually do get a free license to try it out. Yeah. And it's been on my <laughs> list. It's absolutely been on my list to be like, yeah, just let's just play around with it. And I, I didn't really have much data on it. So that's really interesting to hear that, like you said, 40% of the people that use it act, actually miss it once you take it away. That's a that's an interesting metric. I, I'd heard about it yes. and I'd actually seen some demos on it, but I, I didn't really know how much of an impact it was making in the real world. Yeah, teams... Teams at enterprises have loved it. It is a little expensive. Let me yeah. know what you think of the free one, and then maybe I'll I'll get one for for me and our front end developer. Yeah, sure. How big is your team? I'm guessing it's you two co founders, and and then you're just contracting in other people to do the work with you. Yeah, we have our front end developer. The second that we raise some money, he'll be getting a full time offer from us. He's finishing up his last semester at the University of Minnesota. He's been awesome. You know, like certain people when they come on board, the stuff that they can do and the effort that they bring to the table. You know, it's it makes it a really easy decision. To, to say that they should stay around. So <laughs> we'll be making it worth his while shortly. And other than that, yeah, just me and Ramsey. Gotcha. And you guys are focused on, you guys are kind of developing the models and stuff, right. this this parsing algorithm, all that stuff is stuff that you guys do a lot. Is it mainly in Python? It's all Python, the whole backend, our API server. I wish I knew more other languages, but Python's just been the most fun and easiest, so... Yeah, for sure. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, why reinvent the wheel? If you've got a lot of libraries out there that can help you beautiful soup or whatever it is, you know, to, to, to go through APIs. Yeah, it's super easy to use that yeah. language. And so. the machine learning support inside of Python has been awesome. Like, I don't know if you've ever heard of Spacey, the text processing framework. Basically, they have this data pipeline feature where you can add your own custom features to the stuff that comes out of the machine learning models. So that when a piece of text runs through, you know, it's basically running on bare metal C, essentially. And it you can add whatever you want to it and it comes pre-compiled with the machine learning or the the language models that will have the text embeddings and some of that. That's cool. I've been actually working on kind of like a text summarization mm. solution for, for, for myself because I, I put out a curated newsletter every week or so and it's really been focused on Internet of Things or the AIoT, Artificial Intelligence of Things. And so I find all these articles and I curate them and sort of like summarize them and write them up. And I've been been kind of dabbling. This has been, I mean, I've been putting out the, the, artic, the newsletter out for four or five years now. So I've got you know, hundreds of issues, but you know, it's very manual. And I, and I realized early on, oh, geez, how could I have it essentially do some of the summarization for me? And you know, what, what I found was open source tools are good, but they only get you so far. Right. What I've also found was there, there will be like a, there will be an ad in the middle of the text. And then that thing shows up in the summarization, right? As some of these things as so it's been it's been interesting. I was like, oh, that's I'll just run this through, you know, this network here, and it definitely generates text, and it's definitely decent. But you can tell, yeah, you can tell it's like not legit, and there's other garbage that's put in there, and even around like, 
Like it doesn't capitalize AI, for example. Like there's things like right. that that, of course, are just that you need to sort of tune. So I'm guessing you guys are running into a lot of that. Well, yeah. what's what you've been doing is probably doing a lot of that type of the value add work on top of some of these libraries. Yeah, there's a few there's a few key things in that, especially with text. With text, I think more than than most other fields, cleaning is one of the most important pieces. You know, if you don't have something that looks like the stuff you actually want considered by the model being passed in, you'll get side effects that you don't want. Stuff like that. When you're looking at the open source libraries, they they do a good job out of the box on out of the box problems. But the second that you have something more niche, it it'll be tough to to get you know something that looks clean out of it. What I would recommend though is to look at Hugging Face if you've seen any of those models. They're a website and also a pip library now where you can host and have your models kind of benchmarked against all the other models in the same kind of problem set. Then they're available for download and install on the command line and inside of your Python programs. And we use a, a decent bit of that for some of the ensemble tasks. When you think about though, like the the first machine learning model neural network that ever beat someone in chess, I don't remember if it was Deep Blue or, or what exactly, um, but they still use the same approach where it's part statistical and part neural network, right? They get the, the game state and let you get your text into something that the machine learning model can interpret, you know, as well as possible using some kind of heuristic and statistical methods up front. And it seems like ensemble methods are usually the best across the board in solving anything. Yeah. I've been doing some data science problems. There isn't really one that's the best. Do you kind yeah. of try and bring them all together? I think there's a paper ensemble is all you need. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'll look that up. If I can find that, I will add that to the notes for sure. Link people off to that. If I'm just coming out of school today and I want to get into this field, what do you suggest? And not even not even NLP, I guess in general. I mean, so rewind the clock back a couple of years. Yeah, you know, if someone's interested in AI and ML, what do you think they should be learning or studying or yeah. going after? You know, with all the tools that are available out there, it's you know really easy to start. the The best way I think to learn is to start playing around with something that's interpretable. Right, so not going straight for some deep room networks that you know do something crazy like stable diffusion, for example. Start with something like a text generation statistical method. You know, find a way to implement it if that's your your cup of tea. If you want to get into the code and kind of work through, okay, I'm going to start with this. I'll realize what the problems are with this approach, and then let me find the next better one. So that kind of self learning with something that you know you actually have a model you can play with at the end of the day. That's been the best way to learn, and then also you have something for a portfolio. And it makes it a lot easier to find out what you're interested in, right? Like if you find you want to do object recognition, you know, maybe you want to go work at, at Tesla. You know, you can, you can do a lot of that stuff that you... There, there's so many domains and so many new ones are coming online every day. It, it's more fun to just get started and, and work through the math, maybe not until you need to. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. I don't do any linear algebra right now. <laughs> because it's not really... It, it, those are sort of things that happen below the water yeah, line. Exactly. You, don't, you don't really need to touch those at all. So yeah, it seems like in school, of course, you know, you're you're kind of learning how to learn something new. Some of the the rigor of that is just becoming somebody who's curious and can pick up the things. But but you're right. Yeah, a lot of stuff you you learn, you might get into the depths just because you kind of need to know at least at a periphery. Yeah. Side of it, what's what's working? But yeah, stand on the shoulders of, of giants, I guess. In a lot of these a lot of these cases. Yeah, I love my classes and and the projects that we did. But I also had to take four different classes on data structures and algorithms. And I can't tell you the last time I had to reverse a linked list. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. There's methods to do that right yeah. now, already built into the 
Python. So how do people reach out and connect with you, Sam? Yeah, I'm on Twitter. My, my personal Twitter is still mostly jokes and a little bit of machine learning, but that's at Sam Karch. And then for Babel stuff, you can find me on LinkedIn, post about what we're up to. You can also follow Babel on LinkedIn. Also would love for people to check out our free uh, weekly newsletter where we're posting stuff that we're finding in the, in the stock market, in the news, what's interesting. We did some back testing on the calls that we've made inside of just our newsletter alone. And we found that we've made a decent return so far, you know, kind of in any market. So that's been cool. Proves that hopefully there's something in the data that we're actually you know, parsing out. And then, yeah, I would, would love to talk to some people. You can email me. You can add that to, to the notes maybe. Uh, and we can get as many people signed up as possible if, if that's at all interesting to any of your listeners. For sure. And it's B-A-B-B-L. That's right. That's the, that's the name. <laughs> yeah, we may have to change the name. <laughs> Don't know what's going to happen there. Uh, honestly, that's a good problem to have. And that means you're actually getting noticed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so if you just sort of fly around under under the radar, no one even cares what you're named. That's not really the best thing, actually. Yeah. So good. That's cool. Is there is there anything else that I maybe didn't didn't cover that you would want to talk about in this interview? I think we got through a lot of the stuff that we that I wanted to talk about. And, you know, this this field is endlessly interesting to me, especially in NLP being that in it'll be the first field of artificial intelligence that really convinces people that, you know, AGI is possible or something. Just due to that that humanity of it, you know, it's been a really fun place to work and hopefully people are also interested and reach out and see what we're up to and start on some of their own stuff too. I guess before we do go, like where where do you see this going in the next, you know, three to five to 10 years? And you you mentioned AGI, that was something that is always a hot topic for debate, but where do you guys see you guys being, I guess, when, where'd you like to be maybe five years? For Babel? For Babel, but also probably NLP, you know, and just what's, what's going on in the space. Yeah. Yeah. For Babel, it would be amazing if we, you know, could prove through a, a fund that we run ourselves that there's something in the news and in the text we process that we can use to forecast the future. But for, you know, thinking about AGI, which I would always put in quotations, I think we'll see problems solved that we never would have imagined would have been able to be solved. Well, you know, quality of life increases thanks to that as long as the technology is distributable enough. I think that we'll, you know, see that shortly. But I don't know that AGI is a, is a possibility being that we don't have a good understanding of what intelligence is, you know, artificial or otherwise. We won't be able to slap a, a functional definition, I think, on what does it mean to be sentient? What does it mean to be alive? And just due to that, AGI, I don't think we'll ever have a definitive yes or no. That's a good point for sure. I, mean, I guess, yeah, we haven't really defined it as, as, as an industry right. yet to make sure we know what we're going yeah, after. And the Turing test was one of the worst benchmarks maybe. And Turing is obviously a genius and has done you know, more for the field than maybe any other person. But the, the Turing test of, can you convince a person that this thing is alive? I mean, you can do that by statistical methods alone. Yeah, I, I just am thinking that, you know, some of this artwork, some of this poetry and all this sort of stuff that's being generated, I don't, I, you could easily fool <laughs> Absolutely. With some of those things, because it's just, it's so sort of like open-ended. And so then, you know, it's interesting, I was on this panel some weeks ago, but then it, it does come back to then, well, so what is good art? Right. And what right? is art? And, and, <laughs> and, and then what is art too, right? And so it's in, it's, it's interpretive, you know, and it's interpreted based by, based on your interpretation of it. So it's, it's very difficult to prove. So I'm definitely with you on that. Yeah. Right as Stable Diffusion came out and was open source and available, a digital artist from Colorado actually won an art competition and didn't reveal at the end that it was you know, AI generated art. And that was 
kind of one of the the impetuses for <laughs> some of the really spirited debate around you know are these people artists or does it matter that it was made by a person you know more than what I what I think of what was generated for sure yeah I do remember hearing that they were uh, pissed <laughs> they were pissed <laughs> to, for lack of a better term yeah. I guess they were very pissed <laughs> how do you have a, a AI win in our contest yeah. so. Well, cool, Sam. I appreciate the time. It's always always fun to talk to uh, people that are in the space. Always fun to talk to entrepreneurs. And you know, I wish you nothing but the best here. It just sounds like a really, really cool problem you guys are trying to tackle here. And it looks like you know you guys are continuing to sort of win awards, work, work your work your way up, and also you know gain subscribers. That that's that's really what it's all about. So congratulations on crossing that that first threshold. And I know you guys will be continuing to add more in the future. And more than happy to help you get the word out. So exciting times for you guys. Yeah, thanks, Justin. You know, I'll, I'll call it a win the first time someone emails us and tells us, thank you. Your information has allowed me to make so much money that I can retire and my whole family is going on vacation. <laughs> so any day now, hopefully. <laughs> Maybe that person will be you one day. You know, I'm sure you use the tool, yeah. like you said, so you could benefit as well. You've listened to another episode of The Conversations on Applied AI Podcast. We hope you are eager to learn more about applying artificial intelligence and deep learning within your organization. You can visit us at AppliedAI.mn to keep up to date on our events and connect with our amazing community. Please don't hesitate to reach out to Justin at AppliedAI.mn if you are interested in participating in a future episode. Thank you for listening.